Uh, let, let me share one other thing that's, that's uh, kind of currently out there. Uh, for those that want a little kind of heavier scholarship, and this is a little bit heavier, uh, but let me just tell you a resource that, that's out there. Um, what, what's happened here is that if you think about the, the, uh, the, the whole process of the translation of the Book of Mormon, th think about the multi-stages steps that it went through. Uh, the Book of Mormon was a revelation to Joseph Smith. He wasn't translating. He wasn't a linguist. It was a revelation to him. Oftentimes the plates just sat on the table with the blanket over them. So it's all being received to him. So he's going to, he's going to receive a revelation word by word. He's going to go very slowly. In about, we think about 90 days, a little bit more, a little less, Oliver Cowdery is writing, we think uh, about eight hours a day. They were, they were doing about eight pages a day, and they managed in about three months to get the entire Book of Mormon completed. But that means very tedious process of Joseph reading very slowly. Oliver is writing longhand. And then after they complete the process, now they learn from the 116 pages. If somebody steals the manuscript, we're toast. So what we're going to do when we get ready to take it to the printer, he had Oliver made a, made a complete copy of, of the manuscript. So we have the original manuscript under the hand of Revelation. Then we have the printer's manuscript, which is Oliver Cowdery transferring what was in the original to there. And then we have the printer who is typesetting in there from the printer's manuscript and putting it uh, to actual print so they can actually print it, right? In each step along the way, you have a possibility of some errors creeping in. Even with proofreading and going through, I know that uh, in, in my books that I've read, written, we'll go through and proofread it, and we still miss stuff. Well, they were doing that, and then we had the tedium of just copying longhand. Uh, so one of the, the things that has come up, a professor at BYU, uh, Royal Skousen, uh, took upon himself a, a specific uh, project to actually be able to print up the entire original manuscript that we have available to us. We don't have all of it. Uh, and then match that against the, uh, the 1830 copy of the Book of Mormon to see it, whatever errors or differences there were between the original manuscript and the printing of the Book of Mormon. Does that make sense? Um, and it was, and it's taken him like seven or eight years uh, to complete this entire project, and he just finished it. And and so he's starting to talk a little bit about some of the things that they found. And for the most part, it's amazing how few errors there were. Uh, most of the errors are punctuation or commas or things that run on sentences that may have changed some of the meaning a little bit. But there were very few errors, if you will. But I want to point out just one error. Uh, and it's not a major error, but to me it just it, it adds some real meaning to a to a verse. Okay, are we on board with? Have I confused you so far? <laughs> okay. Let me just so let me just show one of them. And, it's, and the reason why I wanted to do it now is that it's just in the chapters that we have been rolling through so far. November 23rd, 2015. 
Institute First class. First by 12, and the large and spacious building which my father saw is the vain imaginations and pride of the children of men, and a great and terrible gulf divideth them, yea, even the word of the justice of eternal God. And so you get a sense that somehow God is separating out with this gulf the, the wicked from what? The, the tree of life, right? Th- th- think of the dreams. Okay? Now, uh, the original manuscript as tra- received from Joseph Smith added one little piece to this, and, and to me it, it jumped out and added a lot of meaning to this. This is what it originally said. And the large and spacious building which thy father saw is vain imaginations and the pride of the children of men. And a great and terrible gulf divideth them, yea, even the sword of the justice of the eternal God. Oliver missed an S in the, in the transferring. So instead of it being word, it's actually sword. Now, can you picture a sword in conjunction with the tree of life? There's always a sword. And what does the sword do? It protects the, the tree of life from those that aren't worthy yet to be partaking of the tree of life. That's the purpose of the sword. Well, Kevin, I think it protects the people. Yes, from doing it and living forever in their sins, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea of this sword is to protect those that aren't worthy from protecting the tree of life until they're worthy. Because you get this sense, all, everything else suggests that maybe there's a time that the tree of life, will, we're supposed to grow the tree of life within us and we're supposed to partake of the fruit. It isn't like the Lord is saying, we never want you to partake of the fruit of the tree of life. We just need you to be worthy when you do it. And to make sure that you don't, there is an angel that will stand between you and receiving those things. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, in fact, in fact, we were at the temp- we were at the temple, uh, and, and we knew we knew the the brother that was uh, checking our recommend on Saturday. And, and as I stand there, I said, "So you're the angel guarding this thing?" And he looks at me like, "What?" <laughs> and I just had to quickly explain. Yeah, there are angels guarding the tree of life, and you're one of them because we have to get our recommend past you. <laughs> oh, okay, you like that? Oh, cool. Calling election make sure would those people be able to take the that's a good question. See, part of the thing with the tree of life, as with all of this, is that we it's, it's symbolic, and we don't know exactly what all of that means, but you get this sense that ultimately, when we are prepared, the angels to stand as sentinels let us pass, and we're able to partake of everything that the Father has. Now, whether there's a physical aspect to that, we don't know there was actually fruit in, in Eden, right? We, it, was, it says it's symbolic. It makes sense to me because of the way we partake of the sacrament that there might have been fruit. That we, he, he likes having a physical manifestation, but we don't know for sure. Okay? Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. If you're, if you're interested in more about the uh, Royal Skousen uh, manuscript project, you might just look online uh, because there's a lot out there. And, and, some, and it isn't any major doctrinal changes. But sometimes there's little pieces that come along that add a real richness that, that came simply by error. And, and by the way, we have at least two people, two people we're going to talk about one of them today, 
two of the uh, authors, if you will, of the Book of Mormon told us there were errors. If there are weaknesses and errors in this, they are the errors of men. I don't know how many authors are out there saying, well, I might have made a mistake when you're running across there. But that's why it shouldn't be any shock to somebody going, well, we think there was an error at this juncture. They used this word and they should have used this word or something. Nephi said there was going to be that and Moroni said there were going to be this. Okay, Let's not be really shocked if sometimes there are errors of weaknesses of man that ended up in that piece of this. Does that make sense? Okay. Should we move forward? Okay. <laughs> All right. I thought I would start uh, off with a quote uh, from Elder C.S. Lewis. <laughs> yes. One of the uh, brethren gets quoted more than anybody else. So, so, so let me ask you this. Here's what he said. I read to know that I'm not alone. Speaking specifically of the Bible. Put that in different words. How would you respond to that? I read to know that I'm not alone. The Spirit speaks to us? Yes. And the Spirit speaks to us and tells us what? Truth. Yeah. Yes. And he loves me. And because of that, I'm not alone. Think about our struggles that we go through in our life, and at those moments we tend to really feel pretty isolated. So I thought it was fascinating that C.S. Lewis, for him, as he's looking at this, I read the Bible and this to know that I'm not alone. There's a reassurance that he's there. There's a reassurance that I'm watched over. Support your faith. Yeah, and then that builds my faith. <coughs> because instinctively... <coughs> do you know the most destructive thing you can do to a child? Is a physical punishment? Isolation. It's isolation. The most destructive thing that happens to a child is when they are ignored. They can handle physical beatings better than they handle isolation. That is the most destructive thing that Time out really works. Yeah, time out. <laughs> yeah, there's something to that. Okay. So with that as a backdrop, I want let, to let's hop into First uh, Nephi 17, and we're going to kind of go. We're going to hop in kind of mid discussion here uh, and carry over what we've been talking about. So let's go to First Nephi 17. Kevin. Yeah. Don't you think that's the most destructive thing you can do to anybody? Is, is I, I ignore them and I absolutely. Because I just think we have this need for other people. We have this need to know, know that we're not alone. That's why so many people don't come to church because they don't feel recognized or they feel invisible. That's what one lady in release decided to tell me. Isn't it fascinating that sometimes the most isolated and alone you can feel is in a crowd? It's like you're surrounded by people and you're craving and wanting that connection, but you're, you're still feeling alone. That's why it amplifies that need. We, have, we are social creatures. People that isolate themselves from other people turn into like unibombers and things. <laughs> they just don't do well alone. Okay? 
So, okay. So we're going to pick this up, and here's Nephi, and, and uh, they are traveling. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit last time. They're traveling through the wilderness um, for the space of eight years in the wilderness, and they come to Bountiful. And, and now they're going to get... Um, I'm not going to do this really in order uh, because there are several lessons that come out of this whole whole process. But let's start with this one. Remember the the brethren are going to kind of the brothers are going to start pushing back. Here we are in Bountiful. We're now enjoying Bountiful, and he says, "No, we need to build a ship. No, we don't really want to build a ship. And if you looked out, the water is kind of intimidating." And you're a, you work with metal. We don't think you'd be great at building a boat. Uh, and so they start to push back. And so we, we walk in right in the middle of Nephi's uh, lecture to, to the brothers that we've, we've studied many times. Um, and he's going to say... Um, for instance, do you suppose that the children of this land who were in the land of promise... Who were driven out of by our fathers, our fathers being, being the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Do you think they were more righteous? Uh, the, the, uh, the, the people that they had to drive out, do you think they were more righteous? No. They weren't able to come in. Do you think our fathers would have been more choice if they'd been righteous? No. The Lord esteems all flesh. And then he says, uh, and. He loveth those who will have him to be their God. He loveth our fathers and he covenanted with them. Even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he remembered the covenants which he had made. Therefore he did bring them out of Egypt. Now, he's going to then reference a specific instance. And it's funny how this instance keeps showing up over and over in the Book of Mormon. For the Book of Mormon prophets... This was one of those watershed moments, what they always kind of refer back to. Uh, and he did straighten them, the children of Israel, in the wilderness with his rod. For they hardened their hearts, even as, as ye have, and the Lord straightened them because of their iniquity. How is he going to do this? How is he going to wake them up? A few things. Yeah. Number one, he took away the blessings of the Lord. Sure. Now they're going to struggle without the priesthood. But, but listen, he says there was a specific way that I'm going to kind of sort out a little bit. Uh, those that were righteous from those that weren't. He sent fi fiery, I always have a hard time with this, fiery flying serpents <laughs> among them. And after they had bitten, so picture they're they're all being bit by these snakes, right? They're all they're all all carrying the poison in their system. Uh, we talked about this uh, about a year and a half ago. Firing flying serpents among them, and after they were bitten, he prepared a way that they might be healed. And the labor which they had to perform, the laborious hard work it would take to become healed from this. Poison in their system was what? Look. 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 All you've got to do is look. Well, that should be simple, right? 
Just look. And because of the simpleness of the way or the easiness of the way, there were many that perished. Now, let me, let me stop for a second. Why? Because so often when, when people aren't coming to church or they're struggling with their callings or their families or whatever, it's because it is so hard. How many times do people say to you, I'm really struggling because it's too easy. <laughs> I'm just really struggling. I don't know exactly what to do. The Lord has made it too easy for me. What's he talking about? Why is it that people would struggle to do something because it was going to be easy? Like following an iron rod. Just follow the rod. Well, that would be easy. Why would it be harder? Because why would things be too easy? What's the challenge there? What? Yeah. Because I didn't have enough faith. If I don't have faith, then what? You're not, you're not going to follow. But wouldn't you think, if I don't have enough faith, then you're going to give me something hard to do, then I, I can't do it because it's too hard. Isn't it Because it is a lack of faith, where lack of faith says, I'm not going to do it because it's too easy. It's too simple. Well, something is easy to do, it seems also easy not to do. I've been, ah. I've been looking at a thing with snakes on a few Yeah, well, and, and that is the easy thing. By the way, all you're going to have to do, go look at the snake pole. We made a snake pole. Go look at it and you'll be saved. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Naaman's another example. Naaman is a good example. Just go wash in the river. Really? This is leprosy. Tell me something to do hard. No, it's easy. Do it six times. Yeah, yeah. So they're looking beyond the mark. Part of the simplicity is that I sometimes I want something more complex. I want something harder. Yeah. So for me, this is a clear example of pruning, and it's a servant holding up the thing that is actually pruning the people. Yes. We were talking earlier that part of our job will be reference that. Jacob 6 2. Read that. Read the bottom part of that for a second. Listen close. And the day that he shall set his hand again the second time to recover his people is the day. Yea, even the last time that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard. And after that, the ensuing Okay, so it will be the job of the servants in the last day to nourish and to prune. Well, prune, that means like cutting things. Out. That means like drawing some lines with this sword thing. And, the, and one of the things that will trip people up is the simplicity, the easiness of it. He said Alma who goes back and comes back to this and says that they did not look because they believed it would not heal them. As simple as that. They just, they just didn't believe that it was going to work. And so with that, yeah, there you go. And, you know, and that really struck me. I mean, how many times have I read it over the last 25 years? But there was four or five years ago, I remember reading that going, well, that's me. I mean, how often do I dismiss something where I really shouldn't or that I need to take it more seriously or yeah. you know, to believe that it would heal me or would make a difference? You know, sometimes our sacrament meetings are kind of boring. 
Sometimes it's not kind of simple. In fact, you know what? General conference, they kind of say the same things over and over and over, don't they? Well, yeah, it's just the same, but it's the same stuff. They're going to talk about faith and keeping the commandments. You know, at the end of it, the end of it, every general conference, the, 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 the final answer to that is keep the commandments. There's nothing more than that. Don't we want something more complex? Don't we want something more exciting? Don't we want... Let's stop talking about food storage now. Yeah, we're not doing food, food storage stuff. They're not doing it anyway, so why talk about it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of suspicious. <laughs> yes, it, it very well can be. You mean I just have to keep the commandments and that, you know, all you got to do is like get up and go to seminary every morning. Well, that's kind of hard, but that's kind of easy. We want more complex. And by the way, who is in, in society today, who wants it to be more and more difficult and complex who struggles with this the most? Government. <laughs> well, yeah, the government can't ever quite figure this part out. Yeah. How big's the tax code? So it's about contriteness. Okay, now, let me take a step back then. Why are we having this discussion in the middle of Nephi trying to convince the guys about the boat? Why is he going down this particular road? Sure. So they're so they're kicking back. So he's going to come back. So my, so my my explanation to you why you should help with the boat is remember Moses. Remember these are Deuteronomists, right? It's all about Moses and the law. Remember Moses and remember the people who died because it was too easy. What's he telling them they have to do? What was that? No, we're not going to stay here. But all we've got to do, all we've got to do, guys, is what? Build a boat. (laughs) Which probably isn't easy. I wouldn't think it would be easy. So if we're talking about something as complex as building a boat, why would that be easy? Bingo. All you have, we can't build the boat. Yes, you can build the boat. All we have to do is do what God told us to do. By the way, how did we get from Jerusalem to Bountiful in the first place? All we were doing was following the Leahona. We were living Leahona lives, as we were talking about last time, which is just go there. Really? I want more than that. No, just don't make it more complicated. It's just there. I'm not sure we can do that. Then do it by live by every word that comes from his mouth. Just do it. Break it specifically. Don't make it more complicated. Just follow. 
but I think he was having to fight against the natural human tendency that it doesn't matter what you're in or where you're living, you're always afraid to do something new. It doesn't even matter if you're in a terrible, terrible situation. It's more scary to actually go into a new situation that might be potentially be better. And you're going to have to go into a brand new situation. How are we going to do the new situation? You just have to do what God tells you to do. Which they're not good at hearing. No, they're not. Now, in society so often, the people that are going to struggle with this are the learned. And the not humble and contrite. I want, i, I got to know why. I want to learn. I, it needs to be more. I'm going to study. Uh, I'm now educated. I'm now knowledgeable. I know all these things. Uh, I'm very, very smart. I'm amazed at how smart I am. So look at the degrees I have on the wall. I'm so dang smart. Keep the commandments. Oh, there's got to be more than that. The brethren said do this. Well, I'm going to do it my way. That's too simple. We're going to sit in gospel doctrine and hear the same thing again. I want it to be more. I want more mysteries. I want more complexity. I want... Trim your lamps. Yeah, I, I don't want to trim my lamps. I want to do it my way. The, to be learned is, is helpful if you are wise. And wise means studying wisdom and trusting that God is smarter than you are. Until I become skeptical. The problem that we have struggling with so many in the church at the moment is that there is an underlying current that is really pushing back that says just because the brethren said it doesn't make it so. And because it's not doctrine, it's policy. And if it's policy, then the brethren don't, aren't really, they're old. And just because they said this doesn't mean it won't, won't change tomorrow. So why push too hard on that. In fact, we're going to probably be smarter because the brethren really need to change the policy. They're not being very politically correct. And, and they're old and they'll change, so just so we're, we're smarter. We're more educated. We're more sophisticated. We're more... And the minute that, that what they've done is broken the link between saying, I no longer believe that the brethren are listening to God. Now it's just the brethren are a big organization making executive bureaucratic bureaucratic decisions and based on that they're going to they're going to mess it up. Well, what about the fact that they're prophets? Well, this is policy and they're not really listening to God on this one. And I'll cite you cases where I think they weren't. And when that link is broken, now they're drifting. Now now Following the gospel and following the brethren is no longer simple. It's more complicated. And I'm going to trust the people online in their blogs more than I'm going to trust the brethren in conference. Because when I no longer believe the brethren in conference, then, the, then a guy with a blog is smarter than, the, than a, a prophet. You break that link and now you're drifting. Now it says, well, all you got to do is look and live. Well, you know... In my research and my understanding and my knowledge, that's kind of simplistic. L l let me give you one other example of that. We, we were talking earlier about, because uh, I don't think I'm getting into it here, we're talking about the great and abominable church okay, in the Book of Mormon, right? By the way, where does the great and abominable church live? If you look at the, the dreams of Lehi and Nephi. They have, a, they have a place they gather. Where does the great and abominable church live? In the? Amen. 
great and spacious building. They're up there, okay? They're there. They have this great place and they live, they have great clothes and they and they heap down all kinds of scorn on everybody else, right? They live at the window. Yes, they, they kind of live at the window so they can point their fingers. That's where they live. And one of the things that we know about the great and abominable from the great and spacious is that they're going to pull out all the plain and precious truths out of the, uh, out of the scriptures, right? Well, one way to pull all of the great all, out of the plain and precious truths out of the scriptures is that you erase it. If you're going to leave stuff out of the Bible, we and we believe that a lot was taken out. Certainly, the Deuteronomists did that. But sometimes you can eliminate the the plain and precious truths in the gospel simply by causing people not to believe what's written. You don't have to physically remove it. You just have to get them to not believe it. It's there, but just don't just pass over it. Let me give you an example. The the current trend in New Testament scholars <laughs> is to is that they're they're focused on what they call the uh, the the his, the uh, was the historical Jesus. It's the Jesus with all the all the silly miracles taken out. It's the Jesus that's kind of like Buddha. It's the Jesus that really said good stuff. And we can throw out the miracles and we can throw out the miraculous stuff and the Son of God stuff and the resurrection stuff and all of that stuff. We want to be able to believe that there was a historical Jesus and he was a good guy who taught people to love each other and be tolerant of everybody. We want that historical Jesus. Yeah, no, actually they don't. They like his mouthiness because he's going to call he's going to call people on the, the the rich organization stuff and that they're not being nice to the poor. They like the historical Jesus without the miracles. So really, the great and spacious building and the abominable church could live within each of us if we choose to follow that. And it's not a place; it's a inside. You got it. Does that make sense? That so often you're going to find that the great and abominable church is less about a place and it's less about an organization and it's more about an attitude. It is about an attitude that fights against the saints of God. And one of the ways that we know this, go back to the historical Jesus thing. Uh, Someone looking for the historical Jesus could be reading the New Testament right as it sits and what, they're going to read along, and what happens when they come to a miracle? I just eliminated it. I didn't tear it out. It's still there, but my eyes went, oh, miracle, that's stupid, move on. I'm going to read along, here comes the stuff about resurrection. Oh, that's silly. I'm going to look for all of the love everybody, be tolerant to everybody, because nobody does anything wrong, and they all have their own path, and no matter which church or organization you belong to, you're fine as long as you're really nice to people. I'm going to leave all that stuff out. Uh, the plain and precious truths have been removed mentally and emotionally in our goal to just to find in what we want. Does that make sense? Suddenly, it's not simple anymore. We just said, read the Bible, read the Book of Mormon, do what it says. No, I don't want to do that. I want to do it my way. And suddenly, it's not simple no more. Does that make sense?
So why are we having this discussion with Lehman and Lemuel prior to building the boat? They, 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 they got that attitude. It doesn't really mean that. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. We're not supposed to really follow the, follow God. We're supposed, you know. Nephi, we think you made up the Leahona. We think you made it. You got lucky. You followed the frankincense trail. Couldn't use two bent sticks. And and by hook or by by accident almost we landed in Bountiful. Let's not let's not uh, chance things anymore. Let's just hang here. Let's not push it. <laughs> let's not push it. We got lucky. Okay. So. So, so just before you go on, I think one of the key things that you stated over and over again was my way. This is what I want, and it's it's very focused on our will versus God's will. And, and those that are going to follow the simple, the simple way says, I'm going to follow God's will, not our own will, which is, which is really hard. In fact, he's going to go on and say that. Verse 45, Laman and Lemuel, and us, and those that have that spirit of the great and abominable at moments in our life. You are swift to do iniquity, but slow to remember the Lord your God. And then he says, by the way, you have seen an angel. And he spake unto you, and you heard his voice from time to time. And he has spoken unto you, and then listen closely, because there's a very important key here for any of us wanting to know where we are in our journey. You have heard his voice from time to time. He has spoken to you in a still, small voice. But... Ye were past feeling, and when we're past feeling, a very interesting thing happens to the voice that, that we're hearing. And it gives you some idea about how the Spirit works. You were past feeling that you could not feel His words. How do we hear the still small voice? With our ears? No, with our heart. We hear it in our heart. And you feel the words. Isn't it interesting that in our... I thought I was going to... In our society today, as we make things more complex... Neil Maxwell is going to suggest some young people belong to peer groups in which there is an almost constant celebration of the senses. Tactile, visual, and aural. It is significant that these three prophets, Nephi, Paul, and Mormon, in three different cultures and at three different times, each used the two words to describe people who had celebrated the senses so much that they had lost their capacity to feel. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, man, go go for happiness. And happiness is about all this excitement. Yeah. The words past feeling appear in the scriptures to depict people who had become sufficiently encrusted. Pure Neil Maxwell. Yeah. 
become sufficiently encrusted in their excesses in which they killed the capacity to feel. The very capacity to feel in which they celebrated was lost in the process of celebration. It was interesting in our, in our recent travels, whether we we're in the airport or anywhere else, it is the ubiquitous, uh, I always have earphones in my head, so I've always got like a music or something, there's a sound that's hitting me, and I can be in the midst of a, a group of people, but I'm listening to my own little world. It's like I can't be quiet long enough. I have to fill that space with noise coming from somewhere else. That can also happen when you're really, you don't like who you are and you, you're kind of self-destructive um, mentally or emotionally to yourself. You can get to that past feeling that way where you don't feel anything. Don't let anything in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Sometimes that noise is coming from our own head. Mm -hmm. Good well, point. Well, we also use that noise to distract us. From what? From whatever we're trying to run from emotionally. There's so much, you know, emotional turmoil today that we use the headphones in our ears to distract us from that emotion, those emotions. I don't want to feel. I am past feeling, and I'm going to do everything possible to make sure that I don't feel. Yeah. James 1.5 thing for a second. Because I think that's a perfect example of these two combined. For Joseph Smith, it was simply a matter of, if you want to know where you can go to have your sins remitted, do what? Ask. Well, just ask God. Really? I can ask God and get an answer. Well, how simple is that? If I want to know something, just ask and I'll, get, I'll find out. And when he was here, part of the problem was he was being bombarded so, by so many other voices that it got mixed in there. Uh, but he was able to just go and ask. Yeah. To distract. It's safe to um, have feelings about something I'm being entertained by. Ah. It's not, I'm, I'm separating myself from my life. So it's not that I don't want to feel, it's that I want the feelings to be safe. I feel scared or excited or whatever. It's about these fictitious. Sure. So, so sometimes we choose between feeling things and being entertained, and we use the entertainment so we don't have to feel. And we use it as a distraction. The, the feelings that are um, invoked with entertainment and other things are saved because they aren't feeling the real stuff. They're not hitting me. Yeah, the stuff I don't want to hear. They were in a situation 
Uh, Eleanor Maxwell says, in which increasingly stronger stimulants were needed to feel anything. And finally, no dose was large enough to appease their appetites. Don't you think he's talking both spiritually and physically? I mean, you can get into either arena. Yes, yeah. Existentialism, I mean, you know, philosophies. Or In other words, rather than the very simple trust, ask, believe, obey, now we're going to get caught into all of these other things. Unfortunately, th this last part is really true. And finally, no dose was large enough to appease their appetites. Uh, having stood in the uh, in the in the Roman Colosseum, we talked. They, they had pictures and everything of people just come and spend all day at the Colosseum. And at first, it's all right to see uh, uh, animals uh, devouring people, and then there needs to be more of that, and then there needs to be more of that, and it, and as years went on in the Circus Maximus, it just had to be increasingly more bloody and graphic, and, and they become so satiated to the point that they... And again, it's all this, it's all this goal to not feel. You, you want to just be entertained. Yeah? Classic reason why the Lord decided to bring it, restore the church to a young man who was not all messed up with all this... It wouldn't have been simple for anybody else. If he had called Sidney Rigdon instead of Joseph Smith... The Lord would have had to get past all of Sidney Rigdon's noise, all of his ego, all that. The Lord always calls young to do things like this. Great point. Okay. Well, don't you see that with heroin or pornography? Sure. I'm going to pick on the young. I'm going to dull them before they ever get old enough. Yeah. Well, but not just that. The fact that you need more and more of it just to be normal. Anything addictive like this that's outside, we, we develop a tolerance to it. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, I know. It's called. It's from a book called "A Time to Choose." <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, that's it. All right. So let's let uh, let's now. He, he's going to finally get around to building a ship. And I, I want to do it in this manner. But first of all, let me just answer something. We had we had a question brought up last week, and I just want to. Here's one of these reasons. Uh, someone asked last week, why is it that the Lord kept, kind of brought Laman and Lemuel along? How come he didn't just send them back to Jerusalem? They were a pain in the neck. Let, why don't you just go back to Jerusalem? How come he'd go out of his way to zap them and, and wake them up and, and convince them and bring them forward? And part of it, we, we believe they're still, they were still observant Jews. That means they have to respect, to a certain extent, the patriarch in the family, so some of that is there. There has to be opposition in all things, and this was helping Nephi grow. He, they needed this opposition. Now comes a very practical reason why they were needed. Why practically were the Laman and Lemuel needed? They needed the map power. Yeah. He's going to build a ship. He's going to be shown how to do it, but he's got to, they need people to build the ship. They, they, no, we're going to do our own thing, aren't we? Okay, so here, so, so, so let me break this down uh, as we take a look at how we're going to build the ship. So now we got the manpower, and then he's going to talk them into it, and then they're not going to be sure, and then he's going to zap them, and then they're going to try and worship him because those on the other side 
when they struggle, they're going to worship the person, not the power. And we could take a long time on that whole topic. But finally, it's like they're on board. So now we're going to build the boat. And we're on board with the idea that we're going to move forward here. Now, I want you to see some of the common elements here. Because in 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 the makeup of the Book of Mormon, we get two journeys. Do we not? In detail, of people that had to be gotten to the promised land in one piece. So I want to parallel those because I think there are... There are important uh, lessons uh, to be taught here. Uh, first of all, we're going to get, and, and we were talking about it earlier, how did they know how to build the boat? Revelation. Yeah, by revelation. I, I did not build the ship after the manner of men, Nephi said. So it didn't matter. I mean, what if the, what if the layman and Lemuel are going... Come on, when was the last time you went to a, a shipbuilding conference? I didn't see you studying shipbuilding at university. And Nephi's response would be, we're not building it according to the ways of man. This is not a man-built boat. This is going to be a God-designed boat. It's going to have... Um, Remember we talk about the building of the Kirtland Temple, and we're going to reference that in just a second. Was the, was the Kirtland Temple man's design? No, it was God's design. And in fact, we get that moment that we've talked about where Joseph takes uh, Frederick uh, G. Williams and Sidney Rigdon out into the woods, and they, and they lay down, and he puts his arms out, and they each lay on each side, and the vision of the Kirtland Temple comes almost like a, like a CG three-dimensional vision of the of the Kirtland Temple and it's and it's going to come and they see it in the distance and it comes forward and it passes over the top of them and they're like okay yeah we can see the pulpits and the and the three level wow and you do this and that, okay and they saw it clearly because it wasn't God's design it wasn't man's design it was God's that's pretty cool and at times we've got we got records of people saying to Frederick G Williams uh, do we do it this way? And he says, no, that's not the way I saw it in the vision. It has to be done this way. Well, that's kind of weird, I know. We did that a little bit with the Nauvoo Temple. The Nauvoo Temple, they kept saying, well, structurally, they shouldn't be the rounded windows like this. They should be square. And Joseph said, no, I've seen it in vision. They are to be rounded. And if you'll do it this way, it'll work. It was God's pattern, not man's. Okay? There is going to be a parallel with temples here in a second. Hold on for this one. Okay. Uh, Lord's design for Nephi. Now, how about for uh, the Jaredites? How did they design their barges? Like a walnut. Jared did go to work and build barges according to the instructions of God. In each case... We're going to be transported from where we are to the promised land across stormy seas in a design built by God, not by man. Now, you ought to start putting this together in your head because we know this this was all written for us. What kind of things do we live in now that were designed by God, not by man? First of all, our bodies... The what? The temple ordinances. The temple ordinances, sure. The priesthood, 
the sacrament. These are all vehicles. The families. In fact, I love that if you listen, the, the family proclamation says in talking about the relationship and the need for husbands and wives, it's, the, the paragraph says, by divine design. By divine design. Families as presently constructed are by divine design. Then he's going to say, within this divine design, designed by God, husbands, men, are going to have three responsibilities. I'll start with P. They are to preside, provide, protect, and, and women are to be nurturing. And then he says, and again, by divine design, this preside, provide, and protect, and this nurturing role are equal parts. That nurturing is, is as critical and as equal to presiding and providing. And that is the divine design. Okay? So we are in family organizations designed by God. So this is part of our vehicle. Okay? Now. Can I ask the question? Yeah. Why do they build barges and the other ones don't show? Good question. I don't know. Um, yeah, you would think that a barge would be just... Although we don't know. They could have used the word ship and it could have been that Nephi... See, we know how Nephi's boat looked, right? Sure we do. You've seen the pictures. <laughs> of course we know how they look. It, it could have been um, because they had the Leah Horna with them. And the Jaredites are driven by winds. Right, but... The Nephi saying they had to go all in one ship because they had to be steered according to the Leonora. Sure. They could have gone in a bunch of little ships with no steering. Possible, although hang on to that idea for just a second. But we do know what, how Nephi's ship looked because of Arnold Freeberg. <laughs> That's why it is that we know that all the men had arms as big as their legs. <laughs> you know? And, and, to get, and to get past that image, those Freeburg images, we, we think we know how those bolts look and stuff like that. We may be completely wrong, and they could have looked like barges. It could have been one big barge. I wonder how they launched it. Well, yeah. The, the engineer in you would love that, wouldn't it? <laughs> how, how would they do that? I, I thought of that the other day. <laughs> okay. Okay, so, so one of the we know that they traveled as we do in a vehicle designed by God. Okay? With th think about the church and how it is and the gospel and how the whole thing is designed. Okay? So this is us. Now, here's the second part. Divine tutoring. How are you going to do this? I Nephi did go unto the mount oft, and I did pray oft unto the Lord. Now, what about with the Jaredites? Well, the Lord came again unto the brother of Jared, and for three hours did the Lord talk with him. How many meetings do we have in the church? How, how many conferences and councils and trainings and stuff? You know, I was in constant meetings yesterday from... 6.30 in the morning till 12.30 in the afternoon, one after another after another. And it was meetings and meetings and councils and conferences and, and, and PPIs and all kinds of stuff. 
all directed by prayer and guidance. And we were all being tutored constantly. Sometimes by a state president, sometimes by a bishop, sometimes by a quorum leader, a Relief Society president. We get this constant tutoring in our journey. Then we come home and we're supposed to have families and family home evening and all that kind of stuff. And what do we do about individually? We get all this constant tutoring. Okay? In, this, in this barge, in this boat, designed by God. Now, how are we going to see where we're going? Does the Lord intend for us to make this journey in darkness? If it's really simple, shouldn't that just work? Just trust me. Stay in the dark and you'll get to the other side. That looks like that sounds like a braze, look at the brazen serpent. You don't have to do much. But he says, I do not intend that you should make this journey in the dark. Say that differently. Apply that to us now. How does he intend us to make this journey? With his help and and faith and he wants you to see where we're going. He does not intend for us to make this journey in the dark. He's going to give us light so that we can see, so that we can have visions. How much of the scriptures that we read have to do with the future? Here's what's coming. Here's what to plan for. Here's the signs of the times. Here's when this will happen. Isn't he giving us light constantly about what's coming? He intends us not to be in the dark. I'm always fascinated by those that attack the church and they're like, well, Mormons are sheeple. You're just supposed to obey, yes. And you're supposed to obey blindly, suggesting that you're going to obey in the dark. And the Lord says, I intend that you will make this journey in the light. I want you to see with a vision where we're going. You're going to know all of it? No. But I need you to see for the most part where we're going. Without a leash. Yeah. Or there's going to be a leash? No. No. It's in a rod of iron, is it? This is a Leahona life. We're going here, and I'm going to have you see where you're going. So he's going to say, I will also be your light in the wilderness, and I will prepare the way for you. I will be your light. Let me show you where you are going. And in fact, in your individual life, how are you going to know? What light do you get in your own individual life to tell you where you're going? The Holy Ghost. Besides the Holy Ghost. Very specific. What do you get? What, what, what instrument has been given to you to, to over a specific light to you in your life, uh, uh, tailored to you individually? Are your patriarchal blessing. That is your light. And it's different from everybody else's. Here is your journey. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what you need to do. Here's what to be careful of. Here's what I promised you. Here are the blessings coming to you. You have an individual light for your tailored individually to you. A friend of mine, Raymond Clapp, he always said our patriarchal blessing is like the cliff notes of our last interview with Heavenly Father. Our patriarchal blessing are cliff notes of our last interview. The most important things he wants us to remember. 
Isn't that awesome? I, I like that a lot. So we're actually entitled, in fact, uh, anybody been given a new calling lately and got set apart? Did you get a light? Did you get something specific to you to give you added blessing and counsel, but also to give you some sense about where you're going? He does not intend you to make this journey in darkness. And, he's, and, and, not, and he says, is it going to be your light? No. I will be your light. Let me be your light to guide you on this journey. Um, this isn't exactly spiritual, but the, 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 in the light of talking about Yes, yes. Blessing. I was told yesterday that you can now put the patriarchal blessing up on LPS. I don't think I knew that. Has anybody done that? That you can pull up your patriarchal blessing on LDS.org? So not only can you get these scriptures, you can get your scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> we had the, our state conference yesterday, and Elder Snow was there, who's with the historical group, and he mentioned that that there's a lot of this church history stuff that's available now on the internet through LDS.org, including your patriarchal list. That's very that's very cool. I didn't know that. Back to the comment you made about how we called sheeple, and I'm just sitting here. Really, really bothers that the very thing we're supposed to be is Jesus Christ's sheep. Yes. Again and again and again to be a sheep. Yeah, let me and be in your fold. It into a mocking thing, and it's making it feel like you don't want to be a sheep. I know. And, and I remember at BYU a few years ago, I I stood up and I talked about the idea of sheeple, and then I said, I need you to know, I'm a very happy sheeple. I'm happy to be a sheeple. I'm supposed to be a lamb. In his, I want to be in his fold. And I want to have him as my shepherd. I'm a very happy sheeple. And I had a lady come up after and she goes, No, sheeple is bad. It means that they're, you know, you're just kind of blindly following. And I, and I said, That's the language they're trying to put on it, but I'm a happy sheeple. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Outside of the church, beware of sheeple because, you know, they're going to do bad, you know, whoever you're going to look for your shepherd is going to be fallible and that's not going to work. I know who my shepherd is, so I'm a happy sheeple. But anyway, okay, so he says, I will be your light in the wilderness. And in fact, to the, uh, to the Jaredites, do they get a light to see? Oh, yeah. What will ye that I should do that you may have light in your vessel? And then he's going to give each one of them, and then each, each boat, each barge, is going to have one of these uh, seer stones. Okay? Now, finally. And here, here's the part that I think is just kind of amazing. So here's the other thing. If you're sitting now in the boat, you've got a boat designed by God. You can now see where you're going. You've talked to Him. You now climb into the boat. Are you going anywhere? What do you finally need to make your journey? Okay, you're on the water. <laughs> oh, the literal among us. What, what are you going to need? Wind. Wind. 
Wind! How are you going to get there? You know, I mean, ancient sailors knew if you're if the sea is becalmed, we're toast. We're just going to sit there because we don't have an outboard motor. You got to have wind. That's why they follow the trade winds. That's why they're called trade winds. We can't trade with one another unless we have wind. Got to have wind. We just want to stay right here. I want to stay on the land bountiful, not go anywhere. Okay. All right. But but you're not going to go anywhere without the wind. Okay, so here comes the last piece. You've got to be driven by wind. Now, we did put forth into the sea and were driven forth before the wind towards the promised land. Uh, We also know that The Lord God caused that there should be a furious wind for the Jaredites to blow upon the face of the waters. In the case of the Jaredites, we know that they were kind of in a storm at sea with the wind blowing them for how long? 344 days. That's a heck of a storm. That's a lot of wind. You know, if any of you have been on a, on a ship or a cruise ship or something with a little bit of wind and kind of a storm and it's like... We had a storm one night, and, and they put barf bags on all of the, the, on the stairwells. Yeah, everywhere, every stairwell has like a little barf bag, just in case. <laughs> we don't do well at, in, in storms at sea. This is 344 days. They had a long way to go. They were coming like half, almost circumnavigating. That's just a long ways. Um, now, the, the, the idea of this wind, the, the, the wind is kind of, kind of important. If you just see it as a wind, you're going to miss this. So, so let me... Okay. Let's go to the Kirtland Temple dedication. And then I'll, I'll explain to you what it is that you're looking at. In the Kirtland Temple dedication, the, uh, Joseph is going to use a, a, an interesting phrase to describe what he wants to happen for all those who are entering the temple. Okay? He's going to say, Let it be fulfilled upon them, those that will enter into the temple, as upon those on the days of Pentecost. Let the gift of tongues be poured out among the people even cloven tongues as of fire and the interpretation. And as part of that, he says, and let thy house be filled with what? A rushing, mighty wind. Those that would enter the temple or that the temple is to be dedicated are to be in a place that has been filled with a mu- rushing, mighty wind. What's that? Can be. Are we to be... But, but we are specifically, when we go to the temple, we're a place that is sanctified by a rushing wind. Now, the, in, in the Hebrew tongue, that's called ruach. That is a, that is a wind. That There is a, a, the breath of life. That there is a, a wind that is involved... Um, in, in lifting us. Okay? 
And, and it's tied in a bit to this gift of tongues, cloven tongues of fire. And then he's going to say, and also let this church to put upon it thy name. This place that is filled with the wind is going to be filled with thy name. And help us with the power by thy spirit that we may mingle our voices with those bright, shining seraphs around thy throne with acclamations of praise. That's that is a uh, that's a seraph, a fifth century representation of a seraph from Hagia Sophia from Istanbul, uh, where they they tried to get a, a sense of these seraphs surrounded by flaming fire that would lift people, and so let, let me ask you that if there is a sense that we are in a vehicle. That can that is designed by God, filled with light. Now we're supposed to be pushed forward with the wind. What is the wind pushing us forward? Is what? Okay. What will that look like? How do you know you're being pushed forward with the wind? You can feel it. What do you feel? Yeah. You ever felt uh, pushed by the angels by this by this wind to impel you to do something? Like you're being shuffled. You ever been sitting in a fast and testimony meeting and suddenly found yourself standing up? Mm-hmm. Like, how did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> or people get up and start to bear their testimony. I'm not sure why I'm here, but the spirit said, "Go." What, what would happen to those that are going to push back against the wind? Okay, The Lord is saying, let me build the boat, let me fill you with light, and let me be the, the energy that pushes you forward and, pour, and, and moves you where? Where are we going? Towards Him. Do we see where it is? No. But we know the general direction. He's, get, he's, he's leading us forward. Uh, but, right. You know, this is so important, like where it says, it's uh, either 2, 24, for behold, for behold, we have been as a whale in the midst of the sea, for the mountain waves shall be dashing upon you. How many times do we feel dashed in this life? Sure, right? sure. Nevertheless, I will bring you out again of the depths of sea, or the winds that have gone forth out of my mouth, and also the the rains and such, etc. And then on the 25, it goes on to say, because I have prepared you for this. And even President Ponson a couple of conferences ago quoted that, uh, 25. And I think we have to remember that Joseph, or us, that we have to remember that Heavenly Father prepared these experiences for us. He's not leaving us alone. No. And when we feel like we're dashed under 100 pieces, or we feel like we're drowning yeah. under whatever is going on, we need to remember, because it says, I will bring you up again. That means we have to follow his way. And that is the simplicity that says, I designed this, I know where you're going, I'm providing you with the light, but I am going to push you. (laughs) You're going to be driven to where I need you to be. Don't push back against this. Yeah. Can you just go back slide for a moment? Yeah. As you talk 
Okay? All right. Yeah, 78. You're right, he did. You're right. Uh, uh, Elder, Elder McConkie talked about that moment when, when the Spirit was given to the Twelve when President Kimball said, we're ready to move forward in this, in their Thursday meeting. And the Twelve were all there. And he said they, they had kind of, I guess there had been a lot of discussions about, is this the time and are we ready to do this? And, and you're right. They said it was like Pentecost. that They were all lifted and they just suddenly felt how powerful and right that decision was in, in June of 78. You're right. And he talked about what a... And then he walked out of that and he said, everything that's ever been said on this topic is wrong. <laughs> because this is what the Lord has declared and we know that now is the moment and it, it was by His Spirit that this is done. Yeah, the, great point. All right. Uh, last. Uh, okay. Let's, let me finish with this. Let's go to First uh, Nephi nineteen six. So, to, to kind of put a button on what we've been talking about, they're going to get into the promised land, and, and again, Nephi isn't including a lot of the details about what it took and everything. <laughs> He just wanted to record, especially on these small plates of Nephi, the things that would be of most worth to us. And here's what he needs us to know about this record. Nevertheless, he says, I do not write anything upon the plates, save it be that I think, save it be what I think it be sacred. Now, if I err, even did they err of old. Not that I would excuse myself because of other men, but because of the weakness that is in me. Let me just suggest that sometimes I think we may hold off in our writings, our journalings, or something to our who, who may read it, and we're a little shy about maybe writing the stuff that includes our weaknesses. But our kids need to know our weaknesses. The, our kid, people around us need to know where we've struggled. There's a lot of things they don't need to know. I mean, certainly privacy says there are a lot of things people don't need to know. But I've found that when we are a little bit more open with our own weaknesses, people appreciate that because they're doing their own struggle. And I love the fact that Nephi says uh, that, that we have this moment with Nephi and, and Laban. And he go, here's the struggle he's having with this. And this is where he almost faltered. And Mormon is, or Moroni is going to do the same thing in Ether 12. We have our weaknesses. Well, how about we be open? If we are, we may be weak, but we are in an organization created by God. We are given light because of our weaknesses. We are given a mighty wind to push us to where we need to be because we won't do it on our own. We'll mess it up. And he knows that. And he loves us. And he's going to be there for us. But this is why, ultimately, and I'll finish with the, the words of Paul, uh, where, where, in fact, let, let me just finish with this. I'm going to go to, um, that would be a better way for, to, to finish this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12. <coughs> I've shared this in other places. 
Paul has just had the, the, the uh, section 76, the three degrees of glory. And he says, I knew a man, me, that was caught up to paradise, heard unspeakable things. Then uh, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was, but he was given something that he really struggled with. Okay? Uh, lest I be exalted above measure, unless I kind of think I'm all that. I start propping myself up, I think I'm that great. For this thing, he says, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. He says, three times I asked the Lord to remove this weakness from me. And the Lord says, no. Not all of our weaknesses become strengths. Not all of our weaknesses become strengths. He said it thrice. Not all of our weaknesses become strengths. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. He said, my grace, my son, is sufficient for thee. I designed the boat. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Specifically, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ, his wind, may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, because often I won't do it very well. I'll screw up from time to time. I won't teach great lessons. I will, you know, have horrible family home evenings. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When he is, when, when I am in his boat, doing it his way, using his light, not my light. There's my challenge to you for Thanksgiving. I believe as we roll into a time of thankfulness that we can be thankful for our weaknesses. I think we should be thankful for our humanness. Because the beauty of our humanness and our weaknesses is that we exist in, in vessels that God designed. Whether it's our family or quorums or classes or churches or whatever. He designed them for our weaknesses. And he's going to give us the wind to get us where we need to, to go. And, and if we will glory in that, then we really glory in his atonement and his mercy unto those of us who are sinners and weak. I pray that we can do that this week. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.